When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Widely considered among the greatest films ever made, Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic Jaws recently received the 3D treatment and will be released in the format in theaters this weekend. No, this is not Jaws 3D, the 1983 sequel that was viewed by audiences with cardboard glasses and received generally negative reviews. This is a new conversion of Spielberg's original, presented in 3D for the first time. The conversion work was accomplished at Stereo D, which was recently renamed SDFX. And joining me for today's podcast is Jeremy Carroll, who served as a stereographer on Jaws. His credits also include The Bad Guys and Free Guy. Jeremy, looking forward to talking about Jaws with you today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I had the opportunity to see it last week. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> Great. No, it's, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy to hear that people are finally getting to see all the work that everybody uh, put into the film. And they're, they're finally getting to see everything we've, we've known for a while now. And, and it's great to hear some of the positive feedback that's coming, that's coming from it. So we should start by just letting viewers know that um, this is not a film where you're going to see the shark frequently popping out at the audience. Uh, you work closely with Steven Spielberg on planning the uh, the approach to the 3D. Uh, would you describe that approach? Oh, sure. You know, 
I think one of the things that, that, that we wanted to do was to create a very natural uh, look for the 3D. You know, there are definitely three moments there and things that you can play up, but, you know, we wanted to create a very natural look for the 3D. There's, there's moments there where we're enhancing the 3D by kind of bringing the water out into the audience, you know, uh, and you get that kind of at the beginning of the film with uh, Chrissy as she's swimming in the, uh, in the ocean and the shark starts to chase her. You get, you get a really nice sense of the water coming out into the audience. And that's an intentional choice that, that we made to really kind of bring the audience into uh, those shots, make you feel like you're in the water with her to up that tension. Um, which is which is something you don't get outside of the, the 3D version of the film, um, and then it was just kind of watching watching the shots and and playing stereo according to the way um, they were shot based on the lensing. So you know, wider shots didn't have over exaggerated stereo. It was played very natural, a little bit more flat, um, and then it was just trying to make sure that we made the shark feel big. You know, it was always about making the shark feel big and giving you that sense of scale and depth of the shark in the water. There's a lot of really wonderful scenes in the film uh, where you can kind of really feel uh, the shark underneath the water plane, but you can see all the details on top of the water and you get a really nice sense of volume and scale uh, of the shark. And again, it's, it's something that you don't, um, you don't get the 2D version of the film, you know, so we can play up the stereo to make you feel like you're really in the water with the characters and the kids that are playing. Um, and, and it gives you a really good sense of uh, the point of view of the shark as he's kind of like swimming around, getting very close to their feet, but not quite touching. You get this really nice sense of tension that you can kind of create with the stereo that he's so close, but not, not quite there. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, it amplifies some of the, the tension and some of the scenes that the audience is, is going to see and experience. I, I thought you used it very effectively throughout the movie to, am, to amp up the tension. But um, one area that I did want to talk about in particular was just the shots of the, the of the boat out on the water for the final scenes. Um, when when we see this, you know, at screen plane and then in um, the positive parallax behind the screen, and it just gives you um, this real sense of how small that boat is on this, you know, vast open sea, and help is not coming, um, and uh, you know they need a bigger boat. <laughs> um, but um, I, I really thought it emphasized just you know how alone they were and the the peril that they were in in those scenes. Do you want to elaborate on that? Sure. And that, you know, and you, you uh, explained it really, really well, you know, on a lot of those wide shots, you want to be very careful with stereo to not overplay the stereo effect because you can start to miniaturize objects, but you do want to give a sense on a lot of those wide shots that they are alone. Cause that is kind of the point of some of those shots that they're alone out in the water and no help is coming. Um, so it was, a conscious effort to make sure we put enough stereo in there to give you that sense, but not too much to make that boat look like a tiny little toy boat uh, on the water. So you kind of had to toe the line between having too much and not enough. And that, again, that's all about 
understanding how how Steven is shooting and the lensing that he's using to make sure that you're playing to that and crafting your stereo around the way it's being shot and also trying to, you know, tell a story or give you a sense of, oh, they're they're alone. I get that sense and that feeling in 3D of them being alone. Another shot I wanted to talk about was um, the scene in which you brought Robert Shaw's Quint um, out in front of the screen plane in a close-up for his um, USS Indianapolis monologue, which I thought was so effective. And, you know, those of us who are enthusiastic about three, we often talk about how, you know, just the face can be such a powerful 3D shot. Um, Would you like to talk about the decision to, to do that scene in that way? Sure. Sure. I think when you're talking about dramatic scenes, um, an audience tends to remember them a bit more. They're more, they're, they're longer shots, they're more impactful. Um, and, and crafting the stereo in a way that, that enhances that and it doesn't take away from it, but adds to it is, um, an intentional choice that we make. I think a lot of people, the misconception might be that 3d, is really only good for, for action films and things like that. And while it, it pairs nicely with that type of those type of films, it does really work well for dramatic films and dramatic scenes if you do it right. So when you're talking about, you know, Quentin, the uh, USS Indianapolis uh, monologue, and even uh, Miss Kittner, when she's talking about her son, you know, Brody, you, we made a choice to make sure that the the faces and the details on the characters and on the scenes around them were sculpted very, very well. And we had a lot of detail in it. And we made sure, especially for the Indianapolis speech, that, you know, Quinn's face, you can feel his face. You can feel the volume and the, and the shaping of his face and the detail in his hair um, and the details in the in the cabin and we did that because we wanted to give a sense of you being there with them you know these are very long shots and and if you craft the stereo in a way where it feels like you could almost reach out and touch that person it brings the audience into that scene it brings you into uh the scene with that character and the audience also has time to look around on those shots and you know you've got time to kind of settle into the 3d so they can be a challenge sometimes because you're just you're there you're staring at at quint for you know sometimes 10 10 seconds 20 seconds or even longer for some of these shots so the audience has time to kind of look around to notice the details in him and notice the details in the environment so for shots like that you really want to make sure that you you kind of nail it Right. And, and especially with the subject matter and what's going on with the Indianapolis speech and the weight that that has, um, we wanted to make sure that we didn't detract from that, that we brought the audience into that scene. So so it looks like you're, you're just kind of face to face with with Quint as he's telling this this story. So, Jeremy, take us a little bit behind your creative workflow with Stephen. How frequently did you talk? Uh, how frequently did he review the material? So um, myself and my partner, uh, co-stereographer Nick Brown, um, we started the project doing a, a spotting session with Stephen and uh, the team at Amblin, Mark Graziano and, and, and the team there um, to kind of watch the film in 2D and just talk, just talk about what we wanted to do, you know, what Stephen was looking for, what he, um, 
what he was hoping to do in certain scenes and, and what, what our thoughts were in terms of how to play the stereo. So we've worked on a number of films with Steven over the years. So we had a good sense as to how he likes to play stereo. But obviously this is, this is Jaws. This is a different kind of uh, beast, no, no pun intended. Um, so we watched the film with him, kind of discussed philosophy as to how to play the stereo and how to keep scale on the shark but create tension and give you that sense of the water in the audience and, and how we could do that creatively. Um, and then as, as you know, once we, myself and, and, and my partner, Nick, got back and kind of compared notes and said, okay, this is, this is kind of the philosophy. This is how we're going to approach the show. Then it was just kind of sending out that creative direction to uh, the hundreds of artists that we have globally uh, working for SDFX. And we, We'd get the material together and we would review the material kind of in context with audio in chunks with him, you know, 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes at a time, just kind of playing it in context, watching it all together like a, a film. Um, and he'd kind of give his feedback um, and, you know, carry that through onto other shots and make those adjustments. Um, and I think we did, going back now, uh, f- five reviews maybe in total. Um, by the time we got to the end, you know, we kind of presented it. It was like, all right, here's the film. Let's watch it. And we just kind of all watched it together, which is a wild just experience to, to sit there and watch it with Steven. Um, but we just kind of watched it all together and, and it took any kind of feedback or notes that he had and, and carried them through. So it was very much a collaborative experience uh, with, with our internal teams and Stephen and the Amblin team in terms of what they were kind of hoping to get out of this and what the, um, what the intent was. And then obviously getting creative direction from Stephen in terms of how he wanted to approach the film and certain sequences and scenes that he was really hoping to amp up the stereo for and certain things to be mindful of, you know, not miniaturizing the boat, uh, or obviously the shark, um, so it was, it was a really, uh, great, great experience. There have been, you know, so many reports about how, um, you know, making Jaws, you know, back in the seventies was really challenging and the troubles they had with the shark. Um, were there any things that you had to do to compensate for those issues when you were doing this conversion? Oh, great question. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think, you know, Again, the, the big thing we always had to kind of remember, and you always want to remember in, in, in stereo, is, is just scale. Just not miniaturizing anything, just making sure that you're getting the sense from each shot of, of what you should. So, um, no, they're, they're, to be honest with you, I, there's nothing I can think of that we had to kind of compensate for in terms of um, the shooting. It was just always paying attention, making sure once you got to the uh, second, third act of the film, you know, just kind of three guys on the boat. Um you wanted to um, make sure you weren't miniaturizing it, but then kind of playing to the idea that they did need a bigger boat. So again, it's kind of that fine line. Um, but no, no, there was nothing that I can remember that considered for. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For the uninitiated, do you want to just give a brief uh, description of what? is involved in converting a movie into the 3d realm uh hundreds and hundreds of very talented artists uh, <laughs> worldwide um it it really it kind of and, and it's foundation at least the way the way i kind of see it, it it really relies on a very keen sense of observation and a fa- strong foundation in in art and fine art um to understand how objects are placed in, in a scene by looking kind of at a 2D plate and understanding how they're placed and how they're shaped. And our process, essentially, you know, the technical side of it, the less exciting side, I guess, um, kind of starts out with us kind of receiving the 2D plate, and then we uh, use roto, uh, rotoscoping in order to isolate every object uh, in the scene and then even some of the details within those objects. And... The easiest way I can describe that for um, people who are unfamiliar is that if you had a piece of like silly putty or clay and there were objects drawn on the clay and you had a cookie cutter, the cookie cutter is kind of the roto that traces the shape and you pulled that object using the cookie cutter out of the silly putty. That's what our roto helps us do. It helps us isolate objects in order to kind of pull them uh, negative or into the audience outside of screen or kind of push it. Uh, into screen. And then we have a very talented team of, of depth artists who takes the uh, hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of shapes of roto uh, for a shot and then assigns them a color value that helps establish where those objects are relative to other objects. Um, so we create what's called a depth map, which is just a grayscale map of the entire shot. And it just assigns color values to objects to indicate which one is in front of another. So the brighter an object is, the closer closer to camera it is, the darker it is, the, the farther away it is. And then once we uh, get that established and get the 3D uh, of the shot established, we have a whole other team of uh, very talented artists called our finaling artists that go in and... If we go back to the uh, the silly putty analogy, when you, when you kind of pull an object out of silly putty, there's that connective tissue sometimes left of the silly putty between the object and, and what you pulled it from. So in the 3D process, we can get artifacts and, and edge artifacts and stretching around the edges of objects. So our finaling team comes in and cleans all that up. So you get a nice clean 3D image with the objects properly uh, placed in space. Tell us about how you did this shot, the close-up of uh, Brody when he's sitting on the beach and sees that there's a shark attack taking place in front oh, the, of the, the famous the shot. Yep. <laughs> that perspective. <laughs> so that's obviously one of the most uh, iconic shots uh, in the film uh, from a technical perspective and, and visually, obviously. So the approach to that was, it was something we, we talked with Stephen about um, early on as we did our spotting session. And there's a couple of challenges there because it's such a unique shot in 2D with the way that the background kind of warps behind and Brody comes out and he kind of warps. You can 
play it more conservative from a stereo perspective, or you can kind of enhance it and push it farther. So uh, what we did was we did a couple different versions where our first version was, okay, here's we're going to play this a little bit more natural. We're going to play to just what the 2D is doing and not push it any farther than that. Uh, and then we did another version. I think we did probably five versions where each one just got incrementally more extreme. He would pull away from the background more and he'd get a lot more volume and expand out towards the audience. And then from there, we kind of pared it down to, I think, uh, two or three versions where it's like, okay, here's what it should do. Here's a little bit more. Um, and then we kind of looked at that and all agreed that, okay, let's, let's, let's push it a little farther. So then it was like, okay, let's, let's, let's now take the, the 3d and, and, and push it a bit farther to really enhance this shot. So it was all about finding the balance between, um, playing up the shop and not playing it too much, but actually, but, but actually having fun with it in 3d and really getting that sense of him coming out and expanding towards us again to give a little bit of sense of tension. And just pull that shot out from the rest of the shots because that's the moment where he, you know, he thinks, you know, uh, the Kinder Boy is being attacked. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really fun shot uh, to work on and to kind of find, you know, something that looks like really. Uh, uh, let me step back. Uh, it was a really fun shot to uh, to work on and to to see how far we can kind of push it without being uh, too much. What was your favorite shot to work on in this oh, project? Every one of them. I, I <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's a little. Um, I mean, just just to work on the whole film was was incredible. But there are a few shots um, that stand out to me, and they're not necessarily the shots that might stand out to others. I mean, obviously the the set of shots where where Quint is talking, you know, about the Indianapolis, like those are just to me just beautiful shots if if you're looking around on the shot and just the, the attention to detail that the artist played to those shots is incredible one of my personal favorite shots is um early earlier in the film when i believe brody and his son they're out on the little uh dinghy and they get tipped over and there's a guy that comes up in a little red boat and he's like you boys okay uh, right. over there and he gets tipped over and then there's a top down wide of Bruce the shark on his side going towards the guys he's grabbing on the boat. And I seen it so many times. So I noticed this stuff, but there was this wonderful sense of like the water plane and the depth in the water where, where the shark felt really kind of deep in the water, but massive. And he's just coming up to this guy and it's just a very menacing uh, shot. And I remember every time I saw it, just going, that's my favorite shot in the film. Like that's, that's hundred percent my favorite shot in the film because I just, I like seeing that in 2d and then seeing it in 3d. It's a very different, very different feel. And I think the 3d version giving the scale to the shark and the depth in the water really kind of pushes that shot uh, over the edge to be a little bit more menacing uh, than it is otherwise. Well, for our audience, Jeremy is actually wearing a t-shirt with Jaws on it. So I, am, I had to be in theme and, and shark shorts. Uh, you know, I just figured let's let's go with it. You know, yeah. For a lot of people, this could be the first time they're seeing this movie on a big screen. Yes, um, I think that's that's part of um, the excitement with it. You know, especially when you, when you work on on films like this, that in addition to being able to work on them in three D and see them in a way that nobody's ever seen them before, it also gives people. You know, I, like myself, to be honest with you, 
the ability to see it in theaters and see it in a format that's big and that's loud and, 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 and see it in a way that you've never seen it, you know, depending on your age, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't seen it. Like you said, who haven't seen it in theaters. I know members of my family, um, or older did see it in theaters and they're like, Oh, I never, I didn't go to the beach. I didn't go to the beach for, for 10 years. You know, I was, you know, I was afraid or, or, Oh, that was too much for me. I couldn't go see it in theaters. So, um, I think it's a really great experience, a really great opportunity rather, uh, for people to go and see it, you know, in the, you know, the, the theatrical format. Okay, well, again, you can catch Jaws in 3D in select theaters beginning this weekend. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.